Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Hope you had a great weekend. Thanks for starting the week. Your Monday night here with Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Brock Sunderland, the general manager and VP of football operations from your Edmonton Eskimos, will join us between 730 and 8 tonight. You probably saw the news over the weekend. U of A Golden Bears offensive lineman Carter O'Donnell was signed with the Indianapolis Colts. Three-year deal for him. Now, he's still expected to be drafted in the CFL draft on Thursday, but he gets an opportunity in the NFL. Pretty cool opportunity for Carter O'Donnell. We're going to kick it off tonight with a gentleman we had on the show a few weeks ago when this uh, whole pandemic really started ramping up. He is a Canada Research Chair on Emerging Viruses with the University of Manitoba. Dr. Jason Kindrachuk joins us. Jason, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, Reed. How are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. It's uh, it's nice to talk to you again. Uh, we appreciate the update. Uh, just let, let us know how's there, how's everything uh, how's everything in your world. How are things uh, how are things in Manitoba? It seems like the numbers there have been pretty low. Numbers are good. I mean, you know, uh, to be fair, I have no idea what day it is anymore. Uh, you know, everything just kind of blends in together. Um, but uh, you know what? We're, I, I think we're doing good, and I think you know it goes back to. I think something just about how Canadians are. I think that across the board, and especially here in the prairies, um, you know, we we all have taken this idea of physical and social distancing uh, very seriously. People have, uh, you know, adhered to uh, the to the recommendations and the messaging that that have been coming out both uh, federally as well as regionally. And I think we we owe ourselves, uh, you know, a good amount of credit for the fact that that we have done as well as we have. But that all being said. This is still the early stages. You know, we, we've gotten through, uh, you know, kind of a, an important part of, uh, of this pandemic, but we are not all the way through. So, we, you know, we, we just need to kind of continue doing the right things right. So when you hear, uh, when you see what Saskatchewan is doing, or certainly here in Alberta, there's been a little bit more call to reopen from a sports standpoint, maybe let people golf from a business standpoint, maybe let some more businesses open or have those restaurants at half capacity, things like that. Like, are we approaching that stage or do you still think we're, we're a ways away? No, you know what? I think we're getting closer, right? And, and listen, if, if anybody says that they absolutely know what's going to happen uh, when we do this and, and as we move to opening, um, I, I would say that they that they don't know what they're talking about. We're, we're dealing with a virus we have not seen before. Um, we're dealing with a completely new situation. Um, we, we don't know how this virus is going to behave in, in the summertime and, and especially as people start going outside and start going back to work or starting to do uh, some of the, the things that they used to do normally, um, we have to kind of find out. So I think, you know, again, I give credit back to our public health officials. Um, you know, they, they are much smarter than I am in, in what they do. Uh, you know, I, I kind of adhere to, to what they recommend. Uh, let's see what happens. And, and, and just at the same time, keeping in mind that, you know, just because some things are opening up, 
that doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal. We still will have a certain amount of social distancing that will be with us for a long, long time. So one of the things that makes people feel normal is being able to watch uh, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, pick your sport or sports of choice, being able to, to watch a game. You probably saw a lot of the speculation last week. A lot of it centered around Edmonton as a possible collection site for a bunch of NHL teams to maybe get together and finish the regular season um, and, and or the playoffs. You know, or you know, you mentioned social distancing. I, I think most people in the sports world realize the arenas might be empty or mostly empty for a while. In your mind, what would have to happen for a bunch of teams to be able to convene in a city and start playing games? Yeah, you know, it's such a great question, right? And uh, you know, listen, I, I'm somebody who is kind of frothing at the bit to see sports get back. Uh, you know, the, the last dance, the, the episodes are not coming out fast enough to to keep me entertained right now. But I think, you know, what, what we really need is, you know, essentially enough testing that can be done uh, on the spot to be able to give people some comfortability that if there are cases or if we see athletes that suddenly become positive, that we can quickly identify who those athletes are and who they've had contact with and uh, essentially try and, and get them isolated and ensure that the virus does not start to spread. Because ultimately, um, you know, we, we've talked about this virus for a, you know, a number of months as being something that you know, really affects people that are elderly or seniors or have health complications. But when we look at the U.S. data, we see a lot of people across all age groups that are ending up uh, hospitalized. And that's the part where I think we, we need to kind of take a step back and say, even for people that are young and healthy, we're still seeing people that end up in the hospital. So if we have all of the, the check and, checks and balances in place, to be able to make sure that we can do accurate testing and uh, you know and, and basically identify cases as soon as they pop up, then you know I think that it's potentially feasible. Um, but again, we're we're testing the water, so they could start trying this and find out very quickly uh, that the virus starts spreading amongst the athletes and they have to shut everything down. So we we have to be somewhat ready for for that potential eventuality as well. So if if and look like you said it, it's hypothetical it might be a ways down the road but if 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 a bunch of NHL teams came to a city would would they first have to quarantine in that city before they could hold their their mini tray camp or, or or get playing is that how this would play like they'd have to be all in one spot first and then isolate and then be with their teammates is that how you think it would have to play out yeah man so it's such a great question right i was was watching or uh, reading an interview with mike trout um about uh, about some of the ideas that they were doing with with hosting mlb in in arizona and what would happen if his wife went into labor and having to go back home and, and whether or not he would have to to essentially isolate during that time i don't think we know yet i mean my presumption would be as they would bring people in, the likelihood is they, they are probably going to have to isolate because the simple fact is that a lot of these athletes, especially coming in from U.S. cities, we know that there still is a, a fair amount of community transmission um, across the U.S. So I, I would be surprised if they didn't do that. Even with testing, uh, we know that uh, you know, people can, uh, you know, can be pre-symptomatic and test negative and, and still be spreading, uh, you know, potentially spreading virus. So I think that they're going to have to kind of you know, look at all of these uh, potential issues and, and figure out a way to, to bring the athletes in, get them acclimated, get them through isolation, 
uh, and uh, you know, and, and then figure out how they're going to get them, you know, to and from the the venues without having you know potentially a lot of contact with uh, with the general public as well. You, you sort of touched on this. I, I just I just want to go back to it and, and sort of focus a question more on this. So let's say there were eight NHL teams in a city: Edmonton, Winnipeg, pick a city. Like, if one athlete tested positive, would would that shut down that whole site, and then all those teams got to isolate and stop playing, or what would the impact of one or two tests at a location be? Well, this you know this gets into this idea of you know what how easily this virus spreads. So the unfortunate thing is that this virus, what what we've seen so far is that it transmits fairly easily. So we know. Most people, if you're infected, can likely transmit the virus to about two or three additional people, but that also varies and can go up to uh, five or six in some cases. So if you have somebody that tests positive, now you have to start to figure out who they've all had close contact with. And obviously with athletes, if they've been either practicing um, or they've been in, you know, in uh, uh, the change rooms together or if they've been playing against each other, if those athletes have been in close contact with somebody else where there's the potential that, that they could have transmitted the virus, now you have to identify who those people are and get basically get them isolated until you know that they are definitively clear of virus. And that can obviously take you know up to a week to two weeks uh, for, for a person to test positive. So it, it becomes a big, uh, a really big struggle to figure out how to do this. I think uh, there Obviously, there's there you know people think that there's potentially a way um, to do it. Uh, I'm still a little bit cloudy on how they're going to be able to deal with uh, with a single case uh, if and when it shows up, and how they have to start isolating uh, all the uh, all the potential contacts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jason Kindertrack joining us tonight at Inside Sports, uh, Canada Research Chair for Emerging Viruses at the University of Manitoba. You're hearing Jason right now, really good at explaining some of the uh, complications with the coronavirus, with the pandemic, and how it could affect uh, a potential restart in uh, in a pro sports league. So, from a from a fan standpoint, Jason, are we? Even if we get into a best case scenario where there might be games in the summer or in the fall. Are, are we at the at the point where if you want to consume sports, you are you are watching on television or listening to radio stations like Six Thirty Chad? Like it's going to be a while before we can gather as we've been used to in a large crowd at a sporting event. Well, listen, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news for for your audience, um, but uh, you know, from from a, a practical standpoint, listen, it's going to be a while. Um, the, the thing that we have to you know kind of understand with this virus, and, and that includes you know again you know me as a fan of, of sports and concerts as well, um, is the fact that even when we see cases start, you know, kind of reducing and, and we think that we, you know, we've reduced community transmission and things start to open up a little bit, um, the virus may still be lingering in the background. And what happens is, is that as soon as you give uh, that virus the opportunity to spread from one person to another, uh, that we will see transmission occurring. So if you get fans that are in close proximity to one another, um, the likelihood is, is that you're, you're going to see the virus spread. And, you know, we, we use this idea of six feet as being you know, kind of the, the distance that we need to be apart from one another for the virus to, to not be able to transmit. We have to remember that, again, there's some variability there. So, you know, is it six feet for everybody or is it maybe seven or eight feet for some people and maybe less for others? Um, all these things have to be taken into account. And I think just from a community standpoint, I don't think we're going to see fans uh, in, in the stands probably uh, up until the point that we actually have uh, a vaccine. 
or we don't see any community transmission for an extended period. So it, it's going to be a while, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is this is really interesting, and uh, I, I should just tell people they can text seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. A couple people have texted in. I, I want to throw a couple of ones at you. I, I've seen, you know, people talking about the Swedish approach, and they've had as many deaths as Canada, with about. 30% of the population, um, but the the flip side of the argument is is people who support the Swedish model say, well, people are going to get over it quicker and they're going to develop a herd immunity. Like, is that proven or is that just another thing we have to wait and see 12 to 18 months how it's actually worked? <laughs> yeah, so the, the tough part with this virus right now is, uh, so when we look at, um, you know, when people have gone out into the communities to look to see how far the virus is actually kind of spread in, in communities, and this is in Asia as well as Europe and, and even the U.S. now. You know, we, we expected that the virus had probably spread uh, fairly far because it, it transmits so easily. Well, what we've ended up finding is that the number of these different places, it's been, you know, like 3 to 5% of the population, if not less. So what that means is that, you know, only that small percentage of the population has actually been infected. Um, so even if those people have become immune, you still have you know, over 90% of the population of most countries that have been hit that likely have not seen the virus and have no immunity. Um, so you know, that, that gets me a little bit concerned when we talk about um, long-term immune responses and immunity. Listen, for most viruses and, and, and bugs, when we get infected, we usually get you know, some amount of protective uh, immunity uh, and, and antibody development. Um, we don't know for sure with this virus. Uh, we, we think that the likelihood is that it will happen, but we don't know for sure at this point, and we certainly don't know how long it will last for. So there, there are all these questions that we're still pretty cloudy on, and, and that's for the fact we've only known this virus for four months. So, you know, I, I think I look at the Swedish model, and I get kind of why they're trying it, but at the same time, when we look at deaths per capita, um, it's, they've had a massive death toll. Um, you know, when, when you look at it uh, based on per million, uh, of their population, um, and we also know that we have to look at some of the other variables. So, you know, how you know how much underlying health complication do they have in the population? What is the age demographics? Uh, all these things are going to play into into that model, and, and will be you know make that uh, those observations unique, uh, specifically to Sweden, and not necessarily transferable to, to other regions. Okay, it is a sports show, so I'll wrap it up with a sports question. Thanks for for coming on tonight. You you, you explain things in a way that everybody can understand. Golf. Um, we're not golfing in Alberta. Some provinces have it, or are going to be bringing it back pretty soon. Uh, the PGA Tour is is hoping to get going. Uh, I believe it's in in June, and and they've got you know the Masters pushed back to the fall. Like the thing I'm hearing from golfers is, okay, fine, we can go out in a twosome and we can stay apart from each other, and there won't be a flag and all that kind of stuff. So why yeah. can't we do that in Alberta? Yeah, you know, with, with Alberta, I I don't know, and, and I know that in in Saskatchewan and in Manitoba, they've been talking about it, um, and there are other regions that that are looking at it. I. To me, uh, listen, we, we, we know what we have to be able to do and what we can't do outside uh, when we're walking or, or jogging or riding our bikes. Um, with golf, I, I think that, yeah, as long as you put the rules out there for people um, and, and you, you know, essentially get people can, you know, the messaging out to, to stay apart from one another, I, I think it's feasible. Um, but again, I mean, listen, ask, ask me in a couple of weeks, what, you know, once we've seen how the virus kind of, you know, continues on, and it could be a completely different answer at that time. So, but just keep, keep your fingers crossed. 
Okay. Well, Jason, thanks for, for checking on the show tonight. Uh, you're a very good voice uh, on this topic and how it affects the sports world, you know, isn't the biggest thing about it, but, but it is still a story because I know a lot of people would, uh, would love to have some competition and games uh, as a distraction and something to enjoy as, as it is a tough time for a lot of people. Thank you so much for coming on Inside Sports. Hey, thanks so much for having me on again. Really good perspective there from uh, Jason Kindrachuk, a guy who uh, knows a lot about uh, viruses in general. He's a Canada Research Chair on Emerging Viruses at the University of Manitoba. So you heard him uh, say probably not back to full arenas until possibly there's a, a vaccine. And he talked about the possibility, how realistic it could be to bring NHL, NBA teams all into one city uh, and and play games. But, but like how he said, anybody who thinks they know everything about this virus you know is is right is wrong at this point another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Even people like him who study them for a living. But that's, uh, it's good to catch up with Jason. It's good to talk to you. It's 722. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. U of A Golden Bears offensive lineman signed with the Indianapolis Colts after the NFL draft ended on Saturday. I talked to him this afternoon. Colts had some picks in the had three picks in the sixth round and didn't uh, decide to draft me. So um, they wanted they still wanted me. So they uh, we kind of talked through a deal and um, basically said uh, uh, we'll do this uh, if uh, if I don't get drafted by another team. So kind of locked in early with them and then uh, kind of told some other teams, like, if you really do want me, you got to draft me. And uh, <laughs> they did, so, uh, you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. All right, Carter O'Donnell, U of A Golden Bears lineman, signs with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, three-year deal, still likely to be a high pick in the CFL draft on Thursday. Speaking of the CFL draft, we'll tee it up with Eskimos general manager, Brock Sunderland when we get back to Inside Sports. We'll also get him to clarify uh, some reports today that the Eskimos have uh, laid off some employees, temporarily laid off some employees because of the ongoing pandemic. That is all coming up Inside Sports on 630 Chat on Oilers and Eskimos Radio. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Ben from Edson texting in 780-496-0063. He says, is it really worth the risk to have these guys play any sports at this time? Do the players sign a waiver to play should they become infected 
or even worse, die, then what? What about a player like Jay Bomeister or other players who might have underlying health issues? Why don't you interview an individual or player who has already gone through or survived the virus to see what their thoughts are? I'd be curious to hear what they have to say. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. Uh, I think you raised some good points. And look, we're we're still a ways away from any pro sports being played. I mean, the NBA did talk about perhaps uh, opening up club facilities. There's been some pushback from some of the teams i read a story earlier today that the atlanta hawks said they would not open their pla- their practice facility uh, even though the nba said teams could maybe do it in may and uh, for the nhl we're talking about it because well that's the number one league in this neck of the woods and edmonton had obviously been highly uh, rumored to be a potential location for uh, neutral site games if it did come to that because Alberta especially the Edmonton area has some lower virus numbers and because Rogers Place has uh, the practice rank and is close to hotels and maybe you could sort of quarantine athletes a little easier but but again like we've talked about this is weeks away and as Dr. Jason Kindrichuk said we don't really know even people like him who study viruses for a living this is a new one uh, this this is a new one so they're not entirely sure uh, how it's going to behave. He did see, he, he did seem a little more uh, optimistic that maybe it would be possible to golf in this province uh, with some social distancing and being safe with things like that. So uh, more of this story to follow. One of the big stories for this week is the CFL draft, which is going to be held on Thursday. And to talk about that and some other topics, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the GM VP of Football Operations for your Edmonton Eskimos. It is Brock Sunderland. Brock, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, Brock. I'm working from my spare bedroom, as I have been for uh, three weeks now. (laughs) So uh, uh, I don't know if we've ever done an interview when when I've been in my house. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for checking in tonight. And we might have a little bit of a delay on our connection here. So uh, people just bear with Brock and I as, as, uh, as we chat here. Um, Brock, before we get to some draft stuff, uh, I, I just was maybe hoping you, you could clarify another report that came out today. Uh, there, there were a couple of stories that the Eskimos have temporarily laid off some staff because of uh, the battle against the pandemic here. Can you offer any, any clarity or any comment on what's happened there? Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. There's, there's been multiple departments where there's been temporary layoffs. You know, we're very similar to a lot of industries and other sports teams that are having to adjust and adapt to the COVID-19 at this time. You know, our organization held off and kept things status quo for as long as we could. And certainly the hope is that these layoffs are temporary and we can all get back to some sort of normalcy, full staffs and football as soon as possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's tough to see, but but you're right. Unfortunately, a lot of teams, businesses, uh, all kinds of organizations have, have had to do that as uh, as uh, as we work through this. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, it's it's as it's as short a temporary period as it as it can possibly be. Are there uh, I don't know daily, weekly updates, discussions with the league about? how things are looking i mean i know they've used july uh you know alberta can't have any have any more mass gatherings uh through mm-hmm. the summer so that obviously means football wouldn't be able to be played with uh with people in the stands but what what is uh, any word from the league that you're getting at this point yeah there's multiple conversations daily uh everybody's working on 
scenarios and hoping for the best. And, and the word right now is no one really knows. I mean, this thing's very fluid. And first and foremost is going to be the safety and health of everybody, the players, the staff, the fans, the refs, everybody. So that has to come first, and it is. And, and I think that's the right approach. Beyond that, we're in the same boat as everybody else. It's a wait and see. Uh, health officials, governments are going to, we're going to take our lead from them. And we're all crossing our fingers and hoping that we can have football as soon as possible. Yeah, well, we'd we'd love to see it. Obviously, the the length of the schedule would probably have to be uh, adjusted at this point. But I, I think uh, I think fans would be uh, willing to see. And, and look, totally hypothetically, that would be a really interesting regular season to me to see eight or ten games. Uh, I mean, in eighteen games, sometimes you can start zero and two, and things can turn out okay. All of a sudden, that luxury might be gone if if you're talking about an eight or ten game season. Yeah, no question. You need to start hot out of the gate if it's a shorter season. And I think the teams that have probably more veterans or the same systems that people have had for multiple years are probably going to have a bit of an advantage initially. But you're right. You can't start out 0-3 or 2-4 and and, and expect to rebound and make a run as much as you could with a full 18-game season. There's no doubt. Yeah. Okay. The draft is coming up on Thursday. This is always a fun time of year. Uh, a lot of anticipation for for players who who might get picked. Where are they going to go? When are they going to go? Uh, is is there a position set in this draft that might be stronger than others? And well, and I'll tell you where I'm I'm kind of leading this, and you can tell me if it's true or false because just some of the mock drafts I've been looking at. Man, it seemed like there were a lot of offensive linemen up near the top. I think that's always the case. I think if you go back, and, and my first draft in the league was 05, and I really can't think of a time through all those years doing this that several offense linemen don't go in the first round, and that's for a lot of reasons. One is I think there's a lot of them that are highly talented, both in youth sport and the NCAA, and, and the second reason is a lot of teams play a minimum of three, if not more, on their, on their offense line as ratio, so you want to build that depth. Uh, start looking at starters down the road, if not right away. So I think that's always going to be the case. Uh, so you're right. It, that's, that is the case this year. And I think that's always going to be the consistent position that has a lot of players. Uh, one offensive lineman right in our backyard here, Carter O'Donnell, for the U of A Golden Bears, signed with the Colts. And, and I talked to him this afternoon, Brock, and he still expects to get picked on uh on Thursday, uh, you know, if, if you didn't mind, uh, I mean, you know, he played right here in Edmonton. What would your scouting report of, of Carter be, first of all? Yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, you could argue uh, that he's the best player in the draft. That's how talented he is. He's very versatile. He can play four of the five positions. I didn't see him play center. I'm sure he can. He has a lot of football intelligence, very cerebral, and that plays into playing center. But plays both guard positions, both tackle positions, very athletic, great size. You know, he played down in the East-West game, so we were able to see him at a higher level of competition. And, you know, he, he really checks every box. The character stuff is through the roof. Um, he, he's really everything you'd want. So, I mean, he's going to be playing football at the next level for quite a few years, I would anticipate. And, you know, once you get to know his personality and everything, he's really someone that, that you root for. Okay. Brock, you and I have done this interview at this time of year before, so... You've probably heard me ask you this one before, but your approach towards a player who might have been because there were other Canadians obviously drafted on uh, on Saturday and and uh, you know I mentioned O'Donnell signed with the Colts when when they have an NFL opportunity does that affect 
uh, how you rank them going into Thursday? It doesn't affect how we rank them. We adhere, how we do it here is we adhere to their grades and we stack the value board where they are. And what we'll do is we'll just make a notation for those players and depending on, on whether they were drafted or whether they were signed. And two examples in my time here is Justin Senior year one was a six-round pick. He was the highest player on our board, and because he was drafted and there was a fairly significant investment in him in Seattle, we waited till the fifth round. We had two picks that year in the fifth round, and when he came up and we saw the number one guy on our board in the fifth, we thought that was a, a risk worth taking and a pretty good value pick. And then he jumped last year, and, and same thing. Number one guy on our board was Matthew Betts. And we did a lot of research and we did a lot of looking into the percentages of players signed at his position as undrafted free agents. And we felt going into it, if he was there, we were going to take him because 70% of those those players at his position that were undrafted become available. You know, and for that one, we, we got it right. And Justin eventually did come available, but it took a little longer, as we expected, because he's a draft pick. So, you know, it depends on, on who the player is, where they're signed or drafted, and what our grade is. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But, you know, I think we've shown that we're willing to – pull the trigger and go for the best player even if they do have NFL opportunities is it different for you evaluating linemen and I'll put offensive linemen in the same bucket as defensive linemen here if they're playing in the NCAA sports because you know basically obviously a yard off the ball in Canadian football and there's just uh you know you're not a yard off the ball in uh in American football does that change the way you have to evaluate these guys no, the yard aspect doesn't. You always look at the the critical position factors, which is size, strength, athleticism, and then the character aspect of it. So that's what you evaluate, whether they're the NCAA or U sport. What we do factor in is like a Justin Senior starting in the SEC. You certainly look at the level of competition, and that does factor into it. You have to look at that and say, hey, if, if he's playing here at the University of Alberta or UBC, so on and so forth, how is he doing at this level? And on the converse, if you take someone at this level and you're comparing two athletes and two players at the same position, how is this guy doing in the SEC? So those things come into play, but not the yard so much. Okay. Well, Brock, we appreciate you doing this. Uh, I, I know it's a busy week for you. And we, we, you know, you've always done this every year, a few days before the draft. So we do appreciate that. It, it's going to be fun to watch. Thanks for letting us know some of the details of, uh, of what's happening. And we'll talk to you down the road. Hope everybody is well in your world. Appreciate it. Likewise with you and your family. And thanks for having me. here from Eskimos GM Brock Sunderland on Inside Sports tonight. Tomorrow on the show, we will have uh, Kelly Rudy check in, our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers. And uh, Eskimos offensive lineman, second round draft pick in 2015, David Beard will be on the program and he will give us his draft story and let us know how he's how he's doing as we ride out this pandemic. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Really appreciate you tuning in. Inside sports is from seven to eight temporarily as we move through the COVID-19 crisis global news hour from six to seven.
on 630 Chet. So you can get it on the tube or you can get it on the radio. Or I guess you could do both. I don't know if the audio would sync up. I don't think that audio does sync up, does it, Kellen? No, it doesn't. the radio is ahead of the TV. It does not. (laughs) Well, you would have to know, I guess, because you've got to watch it and put it on at the same time. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Kellen Kennedy back at the studio here as we take you through Inside Sports. Uh, Some text here to 780-496-0063. Uh, Michael says, uh, hey, Reed, appreciate the interview with the guy who studies viruses, but obviously we're a long way away from playing games. Sounds like there is a lot unknown. I know people miss sports, but they have to understand it is not a priority at this time. That is from Michael texting into the show. Uh, another texter, an anonymous texter, says, uh, Reed, total faith that the NHL, which is a billion-dollar corporation, with a know-it-all commissioner, will figure out a way to play games. It seems to me like the league is willing to put players at risk to hand out the Stanley Cup. Whew. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think they're willing to put players at risk. Um, but I do think, as Bettman has said, they're going to explore every possible avenue to to try to finish the season and and put games on television. You heard Jason Kindrichuk say it in the first half hour of the show that we're doing stuff with it either without fans or, or in a rink that's mostly empty or a stadium that's mostly empty. If you want to talk about other sports, we're not going to have 18,000 people at Rogers place to watch an Oilers game, perhaps for a while. Um, Will they figure out games for this summer? I don't know because the numbers could change so much in the next uh, in the next week or two. Saskatchewan is doing some reopening. Uh, New Brunswick, I think I read New Brunswick hadn't had a new case in seven or eight days, so they're changing things. Alberta, I, I think we're seeing some encouraging numbers. Edmonton an area has not been hit too bad, but that doesn't mean you can just fly in NHL players and and turn them loose. So I, th- there's a, there's a lot of discussion. And here's the thing about this virus. Even the experts aren't experts on this virus. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure like uh, like me, a lot of you are, are reading a lot and trying to stay informed. And there's a lot of speculation on many sides of the argument about how different jurisdictions are, are handling it. And unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be anything that's really totally for sure. I, I think what we do know for sure is that you know, reopening too quickly or doing very little isn't safe. You can, you you know, you can debate the numbers and what's been reported out of China, but I think we know from Spain and Italy that that things got pretty bad there. So we know what what doing nothing um, does. Another texter says, uh, hey, Reed, sure hope there is an Eskimo season this year. Really excited about Milanovic as the head coach and what Trevor Harris can do with him calling the plays. Under those circumstances, I actually wouldn't mind a shortened season because I think teams with good coaches get off to better starts. I think an eight or ten game season. Uh, he said, "I think an eight or ten game season would benefit the Eskimos because they would get up, uh, get off to a quicker start." Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the last time. Well, the Eskimos had some good starts under Jason Moss. Actually, usually they were better in the first half of the season than in the second half of the season. They were a pretty decent starting team. Well, Chris Jones only coached here two years. Uh, they went 12-6 and six the first year. The Grey Cup year, they were 6-4 and four after 10 games. So, 
you know, but then they took off when Riley came back. They didn't have Riley the first half of the season. Uh, Jim from Rocky Mountain House says, Reed, quarantine is when you lock up sick people. Locking up healthy people is pronounced tyranny. That is from Jim. Well, Jim, I, 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 we're not actually locked up. You can go out, but you have to be careful when you go out, and you can't go out to as many places as you used to. But I, I think that, you know, if, if everybody's out and about, we've seen how quickly the virus spreads. So, Jim, I'm here for you. Sorry if you're going through a tough time or you're frustrated with what's happening. But uh, we're here for you on Inside Sports. I hope you are healthy and your loved ones are healthy for sure. Rocky Mountain House is a beautiful town. been a while since I uh, since I lived there. Kellen, or since I uh, have visited there, I should say. Kellen, I uh, used to live in Alder Flats, which was kind of close to Rocky Mountain House, I think. Kellen Kennedy back at the studio. Kellen, how are things with you? Doing very well, Reed. Uh, just sitting back in the studio checking out, uh, I think it's game free of the Nashville-Winnipeg series uh, from the 2018 uh, second round. As they just okay. commercial. So, uh, yeah, great game. Uh, Dustin Bufflin just scored a ripper from the blue line, and Winnipeg goes banana. That uh, that series, yeah, that right, that was in the second round, and those two teams finished first and second in the NHL standings. But because they were in the same division, they played in the second round. And I'm trying to believe that was a series where a lot of the games were blowouts, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that this, so game two went to overtime. There were a couple of close games, but yeah, the last three games in that series. 6-2 Winnipeg, 4-0 Nashville, and then 5-1 Winnipeg in Game 7. Winnipeg also won Game 7-4 and 4-1. Uh, Nashville had a 5-4 double overtime win. That was in Game 2. Kevin Fiala got the goal, and uh, Nashville won Game 4 in Winnipeg by a score of 2-1. You did say that's Game 3 you're watching? Game 3, yes. Okay. Oh, and that one was uh, that one was 3-0 Nashville after the first period. It and is. then the Jets got four in the second period. Yeah, I'm at the free-free uh, part of the game right now with 13 minutes left in the second. Okay, well, and you know what? Actually, that that was a pretty close game, even though it wound up 7-4. It was it was uh, 4-4 with five minutes left. Wheeler scored, and then the Jets got two empty netters in the final minute. So that, the score didn't look that close, but that was that was a pretty close game. But yeah, 6-2, 4-0, and 5-1 were the scores over the last three games. Uh, Roadhammer says the government is asking us to self-isolate, not quarantine. So it's not tyranny, it's isolation. All right. I, if I said quarantine, I'm, I'm sorry. But, yes, we are being asked to isolate and uh, and be careful when we go out. I, I for one, Kellen, have, have not been that interested in watching replays of sporting events on television, mm. if, especially if it's something more recent that I've already seen. I just find it difficult to get pulled into it. For, here's an example. Near the beginning of this, they replayed, I think Sportsnet replayed Game 5 of the Oilers and Sharks from the 2017 first round, the David DeHarnay overtime goal. Right. I would I would not be interested in watching the whole game. I mean, it was I was at the game in the press box. I I covered the game, did overtime open line after the game. So to watch the whole game would not be interesting to me because I know when the goals were scored. So I would just I mean I I could maybe watch a seven minute condensed version of the game, but I don't think I could actually sit and and watch the entire game. I don't know. As as I've gotten older, I've I've found I am less likely to 
try to experience things I've already, or like re-experience things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, food aside, if there's a if there's a dish I like or something I like to cook, I can make that again. I couldn't eat it every day, but I don't watch a lot of movies that I've already seen again. Um, and then I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't get into the old games. Maybe if it was something I'd never seen, you know, if somebody was going to replay game seven of the 1971 Stanley cup final, my much, I did say I watched uh, an old masters final round that I'd never seen in its entirety before. Oh, cool. Uh, I did watch that, but in, but in terms of some of the more recent hockey where I watched it live and I know what happens and I know where the highlights are. I, I can't sit through the lulls. I just want, I just want to see the highlights. Anyway, uh, Brent writing in, he says, hi, Reed. I can't agree. I just can't get into the old games either. All right. Are we winding or down already? Callum? Yes, it's time to go. Okay. The hour flies by. Thanks to Jason Kindrichuk and Brock Sunderland for coming on the show tonight. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer, Dave Campbell's the producer of inside sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Talk to you at seven o'clock tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.